Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts 18. And by the way, what we talked about this morning in Hebrews, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I I know I speak for Edward too. We do not preach with groaning, but with joy, because you let us do that. It's a blessing. When Edward and I thank God for peace in the church, I'm glad that y'all don't argue with each other. I am, and I pray for that. And I'm glad, though, that you don't argue with us. There is peace in the church right now. Praise be to God. He put his... Spirit of peace in us. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We, oh Lord, we think about Christmas. We think about that you didn't just leave us to perish. Father, you did what we could never do. You gave us the perfect example of complete obedience complete holiness. Oh Lord, we thank You that Jesus came and was born. And we thank You, Lord, the way that He grew. We thank You, Lord, for His ministry. We thank You, Lord, for His death, for our sins, and we thank You for His resurrection and that He always lives to make intercession for us. He's a beautiful Savior. Perfect, high priest, powerful, kind, understanding, humble. Oh Lord, you've been very good to us. Thank you. We pray that you'd be with us as we look to your word. Father, our desire is to to remember the history of what has happened. Father, our desire is to see your imperatives and your encouragements and the scriptures and to receive them. And Father, we pray that your word would not go forth void, but it would accomplish that which you intend. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 18. Last time we read about Paul traveling to Corinth which is about 50 miles to the west from where he was in Athens. And remember, he met Aquila and Priscilla there, who had left Italy because the Jews were basically kicked out of Rome. Not exactly sure if this is Christianity's fault or not. There definitely was stuff going on in synagogues there, and they just had enough of it, and they're like, listen, y'all can't stay in Rome anymore. Leave. So, Priscilla and Aquila are one couple that had to leave because of that. Some sort of riots and unrest. And Claudius says, just get out. And they were tent makers. 
like Paul. Remember, we discussed this idea of being a self-supported minister versus a church-supported minister. The, the Bible's teaching on this is crystal clear. Ministers should get their living from the gospel. It's crystal clear. The believers who are ministered to should pay the minister so that they can work. But listen, it's not mandatory that ministers take money for their work. It's not mandatory. Paul often refused. But that doesn't mean that that's the primary thing that should happen. He did that. But the Bible is very clear. Normally, if a church is able to support the living of their ministers, they should. Quote, don't muzzle the worker while he works. The Bible says, is it for oxen that God's concerned? It's not primarily about oxen. Give him food, support his living, or their living. And Paul continued to preach to the Jews and Gentiles there. But after too much opposition from the Jews, remember, he would always do that. He would go to the Jews first and reason with them. And once they would oppose him, he would say, okay, fine. I'm going to focus on the Gentiles now in Corinth. You decided, I didn't decide, you decided by your opposition that we're done. But even in the midst of that, in Corinth, some high Jewish leaders are converted. Crispus, quote, a ruler of the synagogue, is saved. Not, we're not sure exactly if how many were there in the synagogue. Was there more than one? Were there more than one? We're not sure. And in the context of that, it seems that another ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes, is also saved. He's mentioned later in the letter to the Corinthians. I'm not sure if he was the replacement for Crispus and then he too was saved, or if there's more than one concurrently. And Paul receives a vision during that time. We didn't focus on this very much last time, but I want to today. He receives a vision from God. And the vision says, Keep on working. Right, this is very fresh in Paul's mind. He's been mistreated in multiple cities. And he could have fear. Couldn't he? I mean, he's already been stoned, left for dead, beaten. And they've heard of numerous plans that were about to be hatched on them and they hear about it and they escape at night and go to the next city and the people who hated them in the previous city follow them to the new city and continue to oppress them and persecute them and he receives a vision verse 9 of chapter 18 the Lord so if you're keeping track, this is not Jehovah. This is not Yahweh. It's not all caps, just capital L. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. 
This is a principle in the scriptures. I know that you know it in our church. But listen, let us strengthen what we know already. Do not be afraid. I have many to save here. Predestination. To choose before. God is speaking to Paul about that. Not merely that either, though. Have you ever actually considered how does the principle you reap what you sow actually come to pass in reality? If I argue with people all the time and the scripture says you will reap what you sow, how will God ensure that I reap that? How will he ensure that it happens? He will control the events in order for it to happen. When he says, when you bless people, I will bless you. How are we so certain that it will come to pass? God will orchestrate the events that he's planned from before the foundation of the world to bless you as promised. When he says, don't be afraid, no one will attack you, I guarantee it. How can he be so certain that the wicked won't rise up in their own minds and rebel against God and do what God did not want to come to pass? How can that happen with certainty? And we know the answer. Our Lord is a high sovereign He does what he wants. And when he wants to do it, you have no chance. You will do what he wants you to do. Or you won't do what he's commanded that you'll not do. So here's Paul, potentially with some trepidation. Right? He's not a coward. He's been bold. He's gone back to the same places where they beat him before. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't start to get old or that it creeps into your mind like, okay, I've been in the synagogue. Usually about this number of weeks, people start to get plans to physically harm me. God tells him, don't worry. Keep going. I have commanded no one will harm you. And they won't. And how do we know that that's true? Well, this is very interesting. Verse 11, Paul believes God. He stays there 18 months. It's a long time as it relates to the missionary journeys. A year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. Verse 12, we have some opposition. Right? This is exactly what Paul was worried about, potentially. Does it seem like he, he, maybe he was afraid if God visits him and says, Listen, son, don't be afraid. Is it, is it implying that there is some fear? I think probably. And that, that's normal. Verse 12, Gallio, proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, made a united attack on Paul, brought him before the tribunal. This is exactly what God was talking about and what Paul potentially was worried about. Here we go again. They're bringing me back before the council. 
But listen, God's promise comes true. They do not harm him. This Gallio basically says, wait a minute, this is a Jewish religious matter y'all are talking about? I don't care. Get out. But is that really what happened? Because what really happened is he answered his tongue. The answer of his tongue was from the Lord. God had decreed that Paul would not be harmed during the time that he promised him he would not be harmed. Why does Gallio say, whatever, get out of here? Because God changed his mind to do so. Since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be judge of these things. And we see Sosthenes in verse 17, he is beaten. But Paul is not. Paul's not beaten. God decreed it. And listen, there's, there's much more we could say about this. God tells Paul, I have many people in the city. Don't be afraid. You're going to have to stay here for a while. Why doesn't Paul just sit on his hands and say, oh, well, God's going to do it. He's already told me he's going to do it. Let's just sit and wait. That is not righteous. That's wicked and lazy. Paul works harder, it seems. He knows there's going to be results. God has told him already, I have many in the city. Go preach. And how do you know which ones? You don't. Listen, in this city, in this surrounding county, God has many people. Well, how do we know which ones they are? We don't. Not yet. We don't. This was a, we would do this in Cambodia. We'd, they'd say, what are y'all doing? They thought I was an engineer from like the WHO or... or, or uh, What's that organization? I can't remember. They go around the world and improve infrastructure. And they always thought I was an engineer doing something with the road. And I said, no, we're looking for the lost sheep of Israel. They were like, what? I said, have you seen any? And they say, well, what do they look like? They look a lot like you. But I still can't tell yet. Here, let me tell you the gospel. And we'll know, right? The ones that come, we found them. The lost sheep of Israel. But we didn't know until we called them. And God decreed it. We did. He made it grow. I know he's got people in Cambodia. I don't know which ones they are. We have to find them. And in your town, in your workplace, we have to find them. But listen, God is sovereign. He's saving His people. He will save His people. But doesn't that encourage you to work? It should not encourage you to be lazy. That's that's the wrong conclusion. If God says, hey, listen, go and do it. I'm telling you, there's going to be success. 
You're either going to be an aroma of life to my people, or you're going to be an aroma of death to the wicked. And both are according to my will. You will have success. Doesn't that encourage you to try hard? And if it doesn't, do you really believe he's decreed it? And if you don't believe he's decreed it, why do you stubbornly resist the truth of God's word? He has decreed it. This is an example of it. Well, God kept his promise to Paul. He was not harmed. And he stayed there not, eight, not only 18 months, longer than that. Let's read today's text. Short text, but we'll read 18 through 23. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At uh, Centre he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Amen. Verse 18, after this. So he's been there 18 months. He goes before Gallio. That whole thing is over. After that, he stays many days longer. Not sure how much longer. Many days. I don't know how many that is. More than 18 months total. And he takes leave. He says, okay, I'm ready to go back to my sending church. Remember the sending church? It's Antioch in Syria. There's a bunch of Antiochs, but this is the one in Syria. If you remember on the map, which I can show you, um, I have one with me. You probably have it in the back of your Bible too. They've gone as far west as they've ever gone before. Into Macedonia, Athens, Corinth, um, Centre, but now he's going all the way back east where they started from, eventually. And there's a note about Priscilla and Aquila going with him. They seem to be um, good companions, believers. They have things in common with what they do for a living when they need to make money. Faithful brother and sister go with him. They come, and then there's a note about a vow and cutting his hair. Not sure exactly how long it was. I guess it depends on the vow. But they would make vows for a time. You know, I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm going to do this or that purity thing for a certain amount of time. 
And when the time is over, they cut their hair. And then you know the vow, whatever it was, has been completed. It's over now. Not sure how long it was, but listen, do you judge men who have long hair? Don't be shallow. Don't be shallow. It is biblical that sometimes very holy men let their hair grow long. Well, then they go to Ephesus. Paul ministers there briefly. He goes to the synagogue, but not too long. And he leaves Aquila and Priscilla there. And he gets back, you know, so to speak, back on the road, back to his sending church, except most of that's going to be traveling by sea. Um, They ask him, Stay longer. What's your hurry? Stay longer. This has been a good time. He's like, nope, I'm on my way back to my sending church. But if God wills, I'll come back sometime. Um, It's good to speak that way. It lets them know and you know God's the one who's in control. If God wills. Right? in, In fact, we're taught that explicitly. Don't say... Next year, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this or that. Instead, what you should say is, if God wills next year, I'm going to go here and do this or that. You have a qualifier on it. If he doesn't will, it won't happen. But that's my plan right now, if he wills. Paul's plan is, if God wills, I will come back sometime. If he doesn't, I won't. Verse uh, 22, when they had landed at Caesarea. So if you remember, it's a port city. And this is kind of interesting. He went up and greeted the church. So in this case, up does not mean north. And down does not mean south, even though sometimes we think it does. In this case, they're talking about elevation changes. He's going from Caesarea up to Jerusalem, which is higher in elevation, to see the church. What church? The church. There's a lot of local churches, but it seems to be if they ever refer to the church, they mean the one in Jerusalem. The mother church, maybe. Um, He went up, leaving the port side city, Caesarea. He goes up to Jerusalem, greets the church, then down to Antioch, which is not south. It's actually north, but it's down in elevation. It's interesting. So now he's completed the journey. They left from Antioch, went into Derby, and well, it's kind of hard to do this backwards. They left Derby, went all around like this, set sail, came back, and now he's back at home. If you look on your map, there's a big loop, basically. And that ends the second missionary journey. That ends it. 
if we think about it, the, the third one has already actually been, been started at the end of this section. Verse 23. Verse 23 basically starts the third missionary journey. After spending some time there, where? At his home church, his sending church. Historians think that that amount of time was close to a year. I don't know how they know that, but approximate datings of various letters and where he was when he wrote the letter, and then they can kind of subtract and make an educated guess. But after spending some time there, he departs and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples, the same places where he'd been previously. That's what his plan is for the third journey. So let's think about the second journey. They went to Derby. They went to Lystra. If you remember, that was where Timothy was from. That's really where they picked him up. And he's been with them since. Um, those were in Galatia. And then they went to Macedonia. Remember, they desired to go to Asia, and the Spirit forbid them to go. And so they couldn't go. And Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, Come help us in Macedonia. And Paul perceived that that vision was of the Lord. They went to Macedonia, to Neapolis, Philippi, um, Amphilopolis, Apollyona, Thessalonica, Berea. Remember Philippi? That's where Lydia was saved. That's where the slave girl who could tell the future somehow was saved from the evil spirit that had oppressed her. And remember, that's part of the reason why everybody was so upset with Paul in the first place. They brought charges. He, this guy's destroyed our business. That's where the earthquake happened that caused the prison cells to open. And the jailer and his family were saved. They go on to Athens after leaving Berea. And really the reason why he left is because they're trying to get him, right? The bad guys come from Thessalonica to Berea. They're looking for Paul. He slips away and goes to Athens and tells them, tell my friends to come meet me here later. Athens, we get the great sermon on Mars Hill, which continues to be very helpful, doesn't it? And instructive in what's a proper way to preach the gospel. You know, these are pagans. He says, God doesn't live in temples that are built by human hands. He's God. He determines where we live and what age we were born in. It's very helpful. And then he goes on to Corinth from Athens, where we just read about 18 months, over 18 months, with many people being saved. He meets Aquila and Priscilla there. Silas and Timothy meet back up with him there. And then Ephesians, 
Caesarea, Jerusalem, and finally back to Antioch and Syria. It's been a long, I mean, he's been gone for a long time at this point. A lot of this on foot, or at least slow moving over land. And what's the message? All these various places, I mean, a lot of this is narrative and saying, okay, then they went to this town, and then they went to that town, and then this town. But what? why do we need that? Why did God preserve it for us? Why do we have it? I think the, it's, we're supposed to see it. It's like an avalanche falling on top of us. Everywhere they go, they go to the synagogue. They reason with them. They prove to them Jesus is the Christ. Look at the Old Testament prophecies. Look at how his life was. He is the Christ. Being the Christ, you should submit to him. You should believe he is the king. They reason with them. Jesus, listen, if you, if you haven't heard this yet in the study of Acts, then you need to listen closer. He is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's the Lamb. He's the Goat. I mean, you could use the modern sense of the Goat, too. Jesus is the Goat. Isn't He? He's the head of the church. He's the husband of the church. He's the brother of the church. He's the servant of the church. Believe believe in him. That's what they've told them in every city. We need Jesus. Believe in Him. He's the King. Trust Him. His blood saves us from our sins. Do you believe? I mean, the Bible says that we're, by the blood of Jesus, we're saved from wrath because Jesus paid for it. There was a sin debt, but the payment was made and then the the record of debt was canceled. Sometimes we think think it's one way, but that's not how it is. It's not just that God took your paper and just threw it away and said, yeah, I'm not going to think about it anymore. And we don't do this as much anymore, but some of you older folks might remember this. You could go to a hardware store or various places and say, I need two bales of wire, two boxes of galvanized nails, and whatever. And they have a book, like an actual spiral notepad that has your name on it and all the stuff you got, and you could pay them later. Are you familiar with this? Anybody ever have experience with this? You, you make good after you sell your crops and you got some money, then you go pay off the bill. And when the bill is paid, they scratch it off. It's paid now. It's not just that they scratched it off without anyone paying for it. It's paid. I'm canceling the record of debt. This is what Jesus did by his own body and blood. He paid the debt, and now it's canceled. 
It was actually paid for. Very expensive. How expensive? The blood of Jesus. The most valuable thing that could possibly be offered. Don't talk about a diamond, a 25 carat diamond. It's a rock. We're talking about Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. What does God require? We've been talking to Lydia about this lately. What is the gospel? What does it mean? What does he require? And sometimes our minds spin. We think he, he, he needs us to be righteous. He wants us to clean up, clean up all the outside and then he'll accept us. And, and listen, I want you to clean up. But that's not how it works. He cleans from the inside and then it works its way out, right? We have an easy illustration. Which is more important, to clean the inside of the cup or the outside of the cup? I could give you a cup that looked really bad on the outside, but as long as the inside's clean, you can still use it. But if the outside was super pretty and the inside was gross, you're not going to use that cup. And not if you're smart. So, what's required? He's the lamb, he's the goat, he's paid for it. He's the redeemer, he's the savior, he's the high priest, friend. What's required? And it's a simple answer. Believe. God has done something. And it, it does show the fallen nature of mankind when we refuse to believe. He did something that's amazing to appease His wrath, which, listen, is a consuming fire. And people still won't repent. People still won't trust Him. They still won't believe. They still remain in opposition and rebellion. But if you hear this gospel and you think, what does God require? What does He want? He wants you to believe. Faith. How do we know God created the world from Adam and Eve? Faith. That's how we know. You say, well, but the DNA records and the fossil, and what, yeah, I might not be able to prove it that way. But Jesus has a special promise. Listen to the word of God. Do you believe since you're seeing Thomas? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. It's a special promise. Those who believe and they haven't seen me at all. They are blessed in a special way. In a different way than those who believe after seeing. Faith, belief in His Word and His Son. And if you do, walk by the Spirit. That's what God wants. And by God's grace, we will obey. We will. Let's have a word of prayer.
Father, we thank you for this walk through, um, yes, the first missionary journey, but also the second one. And we pray that it would be useful for our faith in, in the ways that you intend it to be useful. Father, help us to believe. Help us to forsake our doubt and our unbelief. And Father, help us to work in this world. To reason with people, to convince them, to win them to Christ with truth and with gentleness. Please help us. And we pray you'd help us now as we eat together and spend the rest of our time. Father, build us up. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.